0: But wait, you're a woman, you don't like soccer. I
1: know this, I mean, I know, right? <laughs> but, but what he did was he, he actually benched Ronaldo. Because that's what you also want to do. When you walk into a room and you want to change the culture immediately, you touch the person they think is untouchable.
0: You are listening to One More Question, podcast by Nice Work, a branding and service design company. One of the things we do best is asking our clients the right questions. This podcast came about because we wanted to share some of the best answers that we've heard over the last 12 years. We talk to significant creators, experts, and communicators who we've encountered, and we share the useful insights, inspirations, and facts that made us stop and take notes as we go about our work. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today I'm speaking with Cesar Kele Maraclule, who is the founder of Maraclule & Co., a strategy and ideas lab. If you want a perspective that's very different, or if you want to hear something that you haven't heard before, she is your person. We love her take on how you can approach working in Africa and how you can move from one context to another without taking your arrogance or your your preconceived ideas with you. We also chat about how brands need to move towards a place of shared value and shared victory and how they need to invest in the communities that support them or else they won't survive. Welcome, Sizakele. Thank you for coming on. One more question. Thank you for having me. Um, we we were having a conversation before the recording started um, around kind of escaping South Africa to work in different different areas. I'd love to, love to just hear a little bit more about your intention for working pan-Africanly and and what that sort of means to you. Because I know a lot of there's a lot of strategy documents out there that have the word expand into Africa written on them but i'm not sure if that has been uh, considered or thought out or has any any kind of weight to it apart from uh, some kind of a desire for for expansion
1: do you know do you know i remember when i worked at a big agency i won't mention them because we're not paid for advertising, but they there was a, a claim that we were in thirty six countries on the continent. And what essentially meant that we had a guy with a briefcase who arrived, <laughs> <laughs> gave me a deck on which the thing they called it tools. So you had to remember what those tools were. He got on a plane and he went away, and that was the dot that clients saw on a map. Like so, we're Pan African business. But there are thirty six dots. So hey, but so the person government. wasn't even living there permanently.
0: No, 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 no. He was We just arrived with a briefcase, salesman. <laughs>
1: So so, so setting up uh, Marukulian code for me and being deliberate about doing Pan-African work is about, one, and getting out of our comfort zone, as South Africans were incredibly comfortable. But also having spent three years in Nigeria taught me that oh, you really, really have to respect the rules of the village you enter. And we don't spend enough time doing that as South Africans. I think largely because we, we are so westernized that we, we the minute a cab doesn't arrive on time, it's like, oh my goodness, this is Africa, this is a banana republic or whatever fruit salad names we use. So the fascination about going out and doing a lot more work across the continent is just to deepen my learning, to extend the reach of my brand, and to unlock new answers to existing problems. Because the work I do isn't curing cancer, right? But it is about just saying, how can we use brands to effect a positive and lasting change on the consumers who use those brands, but also on the societies within which those brands function. So the challenge is ongoing. The desire to leave is so that I can get out of my comfort zone because getting comfortable is a dangerous thing.
0: So you're deliberately forcing yourself into a space of being, being. you know, you're going to have to grow and you're going to have to open your, open your eyes yes. or, or you're not going to thrive.
1: Yes. And 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 practice my broken French.
0: And how are you going to balance this? Um, you know, you've obviously got clients here, and you're doing work here. Now you're going to pick yourself up and move there and drop yourself down in a new location. How does how are you going to navigate that? You know, you're going to cut all your clients here. Or are you going to work remotely? What are your What are your takes on that? You have you have
1: several um, opportunities. The first one is. I work in an ecosystem, right? So my business, because we focus on the strategy component of it, that's what we deliver to clients. Then a client may have an existing ad agency partner who then would execute or translate the strategy into a communication body of work. So we don't necessarily need to be in front of client every day. Um, How you structure your your relationship and your contracting enables you to determine there are clients who would love you to be on-site because it gives them a level of comfort, right? Mm-hmm. So the head of marketing wants to look up and go, oh, here's my person who's walking this path with me. And guess what? The CFO has just come in. He was asking me why I'm paying a million rands for this thing. Do you want to pop, pop into his office with me and help me explain yes. the value of the investment? So other, other clients do want you on site. And others are quite comfortable with you just coming in on the days in which you've committed delivering and taking a brief and continue to work. I mean, technology is great because it it enables you to just work from wherever. So that's the first one. The first one is um, how you contract enables you to just have flexibility about where you work and how you work. The second one is creating an ecosystem of partners who are with you on the complete value chain of just moving from idea to a billboard that somebody can see when they're driving out. And the third one is just Getting away and eating some more food. (laughs) My mother would agree. She's like, "You need to eat more food." So yeah, I'd do that too.
0: Um, I love the idea. You know, you've mentioned a few things, but but that idea of ecosystem, um, and uh, I think we are moving into the space where we the the industry is fragmenting into the the everything under one group, like under one roof camp, and then there's other. We don't need to be. We don't need to do everything, but we need to form really good relationships, and the sum total of those relationships have the potential to to do everything. Um, are you seeing that more coming out in the work that you're doing? I mean, where, which of those camps do you think is is um, leading the race?
1: The the magical bits that come from that ecosystem. The recognition that I want to do the work at which I'm great, the stuff at which I'm good. I'd rather leave that alone. Because here's what happens. I'm not good at admin, right? Which is why I have a person who's looking after my admin. And here's here's how that translates into value for my business. I'm not losing time doing things I don't like. So I can pay you three rands to take care of that so I can go and make 12 rands. And sometimes when we are independents, we try and do everything and then don't recognize where we're leaking value. So my suggestion here is figure out the things that are crucial to the uniqueness of your offering, and those are the things that you must do. Everything else, find somebody else because there's somebody for every other job. I think
0: it's interesting because you've touched on, I mean, the the word we use at work, is impact, Uh, you know, and I think we're moving into this kind of world where companies and, and brands need to kind of define what space it is that they want to occupy. They need to almost draw that line in the sand and say this is our space this is what we're doing this is how we're looking after it this is how we treat the people in our organization this is how we speak this is the value we're offering the world this is the relationship we're in Um, and i think that plays out on a small level from you saying that i only want to do the work that means a lot to me and it expands to what is a big brand like say coca-cola what are they doing for the world or the ecosystem that they are intrinsically part of and I think that's becoming more and more important in the psyche of people who are making purchasing decisions you know which supplier are you working with uh which brand are you spending your money on? where are you chopping up your savings and and distributing it into the economy
1: there are there are two things right and I agree with you Ross there are two things that are emerging for me so the first one is this rise of conscious consumption right so I want to know where my stuff comes from. I want to know whether you're good to the people who are making my t-shirt, right? Uh, And if you are a big brand with a letter W and you're stealing from a guy who designs chemere, that's not nice. But the point is um, there's there's a rise of conscious consumption on the one side. On the other is the rise of this thing I call intersectional brand building, right? So which is how do we as practitioners attend to your commercial challenge as a business apply our creativity to it in a way that uplifts or or contributes positively to culture so the uniqueness of our business is that we work at that intersection so we're not interested in responding to a brief that says help me sell more chickens and that's the end of it i'm like no no when we're done selling chickens what else are we doing mm-hmm. right help me sell more t-shirts when we're done with that what else are we doing so how are we helping the people who make yes, new t-shirts yes. what are we doing in yes, the communities? Yes. So, and, and and to make citizenship pervasive throughout corporates so that it just doesn't sit with the CSI people, you know, and ever so often you're like, oh, how many shirts are we making for Mandela Day? How many schools are we painting? And how many toilets are we building? It has to be an everyday thing. And if it is not in the culture of the organization, then you'll see it. Because you and I know brands that fake care. And after a while, we leave them alone, right? And we know brands that live care. One of our
0: big supermarkets is currently <laughs> <laughs> heading directly towards that pit. Exactly. In a rapid pace. Exactly.
1: And after a while, you and I will choose differently. I'm like, why am I gonna go into a big structure when I can go to the local Saturday market and buy everything I need that's organically grown? I know where it comes from. I know that my rand is gonna serve you, the person from whom I'm buying. So, I'm hoping that we'll get to see a rise in just all of us who can consume asking more deep and conscious questions about that
0: so so now there's i mean there's an interesting thing in there around you know you're approaching it from a brand and a strategy perspective you know so now, if we flip the the side, you're sitting in the brand team of this big organization and you buy into this idea now mm-hmm. you've Come and you've generated the strategy, which is calling for a change in the culture of the organisation, a change in the way the behaviour, so that we can then go out there and, and sell this message and yes. build this brand. But our mandate doesn't extend beyond the the forward-facing portion of the brand. How do they? How do you kind of recommend people navigate that? Because you're almost having to go into the operations team and into the HR department and have these conversations where the way it's been set up until now is the brand team is almost on the end. It's like a side unit. They've got the agency, they're doing their brand thing, whatever. We're doing our delivery thing over here and never shall the two worlds um,
1: meet. So you started by saying, by reminding people that the brand is the business. I think the mistake that many people make is to think that growing the brand is the responsibility of the marketing team. It is not. Everything communicates how you answer the phone, how you receive people at reception, how the CEO behaves, how he responds to things on Twitter. All those things are aspects of brand building. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is to make everybody aware that all of us who work here at Company X are actually brand builders and brand ambassadors, and we don't have to get paid any extra because we're already getting paid because we're employed. So that's the first one, that the brand is the business. The second one is your brand truly has to care about what's going on in society. And it doesn't have to, because... Where the superficiality emerges, Ross, is when you only care about the things that are in your category, right? So I'm selling tractors. I'm only ever going to do uh, my citizenship work on tractor building or things like that. That's that's not going to sell. What, what? So let me give you an example. If you and I are sitting on contracts with one of these cell phone companies, we get given 500 text messages and 7,000 minutes of talk time, right? You don't use all of that, do you? No. no. But they don't give it back to you, do they? No. no, because that's where they're making their profit. So what if we were able to say, all that's left over from you and I, why don't we turn it into social currency and deposit it into a pot where a woman who's being abused can draw from that airtime? A child who's being bullied can draw from that airtime. That's one that's the body of work that I'm interested in. And it has nothing to do with whether you're sitting in the marketing team or not. If you're if you're a person who cares, then that is an idea you can take up to your CEO. And if he or she doesn't see it, then you're in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So so it's not just about clobbering people on the side of the head and going, our culture must change. It's about identifying the pain points in society and using your position as a person in brand and marketing to get your brand into that space of relevance and showing some level of care.
0: I think it's also interesting around you know obviously human beings only act out of self-preservation or out of like so something needs to benefit me so the act of giving is not a charitable act like I feel pretty good when I give you something Mm -hmm. so I get my little kickback Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting that the space we're living in is, is we need to connect to these companies that that caring does actually have a, like an impact back onto the bottom line. So by building these relationships and building the, you know this brand and consumer relationship, you get a longer spend, a more loyal customer, you get more of their mind share. You're able to offer a wider range of products and services because there's brands that you love and if they launch any new product, you, you, you're already 85% sold. It's actually like, do I have the money right now? Yes, cool, that's mine, thank you very much. And then there's other brands that are more grudge purchases. So even if you really need the thing, you're kind of like, mm, I don't wanna engage with you. I don't wanna, like, I'll only do it when I really, 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 really have to. You know, I think there's lots of industries, insurance. Everyone needs insurance. But no one wants insurance, and I think it's also because that whole relationship has been set up in a way that I'm sure the insurance companies are sitting, feeling like people are taking advantage of them, and then on the other side of the fence, all the people who buy insurance are sitting there thinking, wow, these guys are ripping me off, I'm paying all this money for my insurance, and when I actually need them, they don't want to pay out to me, and it's this sort of
1: broken relationship. Or they take you back to the clauses, right? the T's and C's, like if your car is stolen on a Wednesday, we don't refund in full. Yeah.
0: <laughs> did, did Germany win the World Cup last year? Ah, clause nineteen, you see there in five years after Germany wins the World Cup. But, but and, yeah. Ross,
1: the thing you were addressing is around sustainability, right? Remember when sustainability was introduced uh, and Unilever was trying to lead that path? Everybody, particularly cynics, that roll their eyes back, like, oh, we're hugging trees now. What else are we gonna do? Save all the children in Africa. But fast forward to today, Unilever's growth, particularly on the brands that they chose to use to drive their sustainability conversation, Mm -hmm. that's where their success is coming from. So I have a lot of time for cynics because give them a decade and they will come back to you and and they'll say, I wish I had listened when you were ready to talk to us about this sort of stuff. So playing the long game, is about care that is not fashionable. It's about care that's not trendy. It's about care that has nothing to do with how many likes you get on Twitter. It's just about substantive contribution to society in ways that benefit everyone who's in your value chain. So that for me is an important piece. The second um, thing you're talking about that's also linked to sustainability is this thing I call deep leadership. If we don't have people who are deep, in their in their reflection about where they are and where they want to take the world, then CEOs are always going to be number crunchers, right? As opposed to figuring out how do I use this very important seat to effect a lasting change in society. So if you if you if you're egotistic and you're about legacy, then figure out how you can solve for society, because we'll talk about you long after you're gone. You know. So that, for me, I think are just the opportunities, the leaders who care, but who are incredibly deep, and understanding that if you don't play the long game and leave your heart in it, that all you're going to do is just report on the bottom line, and after a while, the bottom gets thin, and you need to find other sources of growth. And three, when you care, you attract people who care, so then the culture as a consequence becomes a warm culture that is very progressive, that is very focused on positive influence then you never never to worry about recruiting every three months. <laughs> so I suppose all of this stuff does
0: stack up to you. You can reframe it all from a, a selfish perspective. Yeah. Because yeah. it does actually have um, that, that that benefit. Um, I want to loop around to you, you You mentioned earlier kind of how you, you were looking at this market where there's lots of these one-man one, one man or two-woman shops, as you put it, Yes. kind of popping up, but yeah. you're not you're not finding the diversity in output or the, the interest in, like, interesting output increasing. Yes. Why, like, can, you, can you talk a bit
1: about that and tell us, you know, why you think that is? I, I mean, I've got, I've got a theory because I'm a sociologist, so I'll give you theories. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, but the first one is if the agency and the client don't have a relationship built on trust, Great work will not thrive. It won't even emerge. Huh? Because it takes a client who says, I don't see where you're taking me, Ross, but based on what you have committed to deliver for my business, I trust and I will follow. Because the minute you are given permission to excel, then you do. But if you if you you are given permission to only Aim for 33% as a pass mark, which is what we're doing with our kids today in schools, then that's all you're ever going to do. You're you're only ever going to play it safe. So the first part and the first opportunity for great work to emerge is that trusting relationship between the client and the agency. The second bit is an agency that has a voice and trusts it and uses it. Because the number of times you have agencies that go, "Mm, this is what they need, but I don't think they'll buy it, so let's give them that. You're shortchanging them. You're not, in fact, if anything, you're not adding your value because in three minutes, they'll toss you out and they'll go, We hired them because they were groundbreaking, but we didn't see a single stitch of groundbreaking work. So when when you mute your voice and you accommodate your truth away, you're shortchanging yourself and actually shrinking your own uniqueness. So I would say, if you have a voice, use it, just use it. The third one is, if you're with a client who reminds you all the time that they're your client and they're paying the bills, then there's no relationship there. That's a transactional arrangement. Yes. If you're comfortable with that, stay. But if you want to build something that lasts, go and find somebody who will treat you like a partner.
0: It's an interesting, interesting thought. We've got uh, one of our values is have I made it better? And we consider that if someone comes in through our door and says I need a flyer, and we walk back and we go here's a flyer. If you can't look at that flyer and say I made I made that brief better, like I looked at it and said. That's better than than you failed. Um, one of one of my friends, Sean Richards, has a company, Platform 45. Yeah, they're a development house, and he's like, I tell my team, if they don't develop, if we don't develop something for a client, it's a win. Mm. So if you walk through their door going, I need this thing, it's a collaborative tool where we can chat to each other, and they can go, okay, you should use Slack. Mm. And then you go oh thank you very much and you leave what you've done is you've left a million rand on the table but at some point in the future you're going to have been using slack for eight months and yeah, have exactly. loved it and now you're like oh you know what you actually need to do is book uh build a i don't know a booking engine yes. or an artificial intelligence or something like that who are you going to go back to who are you going to go exactly. and and you know kind of do that and i think that is those are kind of moments of building trust so almost turning finance down or turning money down and turning work down because there's a a simpler solution or a more elegant solution or they're just looking in the wrong place completely Uh, i think that's a very powerful thing to do for people
1: be be the person i mean when when we pitch to new clients our our final slide says why should you choose us and and i'm very confident in saying i'm going to tell you things you haven't been told before and if you're uncomfortable with that then we are not your person. I'm going to ask you questions you haven't been asked before because my job is to help you get to that place where you can conquer your inflection point. I don't want us to agree, like, oh, you're so right. Not not to create undue tension, but to create a healthy intellectual engagement that says, I'll give you an example. A a million years ago, we had a client who came to us and said they they have a, a headache tablet. And they said, please help us solve or grow our market share in the headache tablet. I'm like, oh, is that the problem here? It's like, yeah, people are not buying this headache tablet thing. Uh, we had conversations with consumers because I do a lot of ethnographic work, and it turns out that consumers were using that very same pill for other things, for getting over babalas, for toothache, for popping into a Coca-Cola and making it give you a buzz, which is yeah. cheaper than beer. So we went back to client and said, your, your problem isn't growing your share of the headache market, your problem is growing your share in pain management. So what we've done is grown his focus from a slice of the pie to the complete pie. Mm -hmm. And that's how you add value. Because here's what happens, Ross, when you speak at the level of the things that pivot the business, you can charge your true value. But when you speak at the level of what are the things that move one widget today and the next widget, you're, all you're going to be doing is just speaking price. Yes. And there's a difference, right? So when, when, when there's an emphasis on price, it's transactional. When there's an emphasis on value, it's relational.
0: So, so so let's flip this around and say, how would I, as the, the manager of a brand in a large company, how would you, what would I need to keep in mind as I go out there to engage with, you know, so I'm, I'm taking the leap, I'm going, okay, I'm moving away from the big global companies i'm going to take a leap i'm going to find a smaller shop that specializes i'm going to trust that they are going to piece together a team of other smaller shops to deliver on my my challenge what are the things that you would advise me to be sort of aware of so that when i go into this World, you know, no one, no one's ever been fired for hiring Ogilvy. Yes, people have been fired for I hired this one man band and it didn't go so good. Yeah. Like that is a, a career ending move. Like what are the things that I can do to make sure that I don't get caught out and that's not only that, so that when I'm working with these people that I'm I'm getting the best out of them and I'm not stifling that relationship to not get the work that that I deserve.
1: You know, there's a book called The Art of Possibility. Um, and in it, he, the guy talks about giving an A, which is assume best intentions. And, and sometimes but when, when people, you even hear the language, right? Ross. Somebody says, oh, I'll take a chance on Ross and his team, but they don't say I'll take a chance on Ogilvy. They'll say I'll hire them, but with you, yeah. they're going to take a chance. So already there's the sense that some things may not go right. Um, I am suggesting that shared values is an important thing. So this team, can I trust them? Do they understand my pain points? And do we have shared values? I have gone into business with people I liked because we know how to drink together, but we didn't share, we didn't have a shared value. So when the rubber hit the road, that came undone. So the first thing is find people with whom you have shared values. The second one is, Define a shared vision. What does success look like for me? What does success look like for you? And what then is the middle ground for both of us? Because when I feel like you're doing me a favor, then you will behave as somebody who's doing me a favor, right? Which means I'm also placing all my other clients at risk because I'm trying to prove my worth to you. If you're going to come to me then let's work on a platform that says you respect the craft I can and the value mm-hmm. I can add, and I and I will be able to help you cross the line. It is petrifying, of course it is, but then start with a small project, right? If if you have a ten million rand budget, why don't you take ten percent of it and give it to a small guy? Because that's how you're gonna help people grow. Like, okay, I'm like, I'm gonna give you the postcard today. Tomorrow I'm gonna to give you the flyer. The next day I'm gonna give you the. So don't overwhelm me with your needs because that could also just cripple me. Yes. Right. So you couldn't do all of
0: BMW's work even if they wanted you, you to. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. My greed may get ahead of me, and I can say, "Of course I can." <laughs> 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 of course I can. But the reality is, if if I don't have the resources. And the structural support to give effect to the request, then I should be able to say, "I'm not ready today. No, I can't do it. I'm not ready today. Mm. Tomorrow I might be ready."
0: That's a lovely thought. Um, I suppose it is also. We have this context in South Africa, you know, of kind of BEE, and there's the the reality of it, which is a very, um, I think policy driven and tick box kind of gathering exercise yes. and then there's sort of the underlying principles and values of it which which i think are are 100% you know like the the intention of it is 100% right mm-hmm. um, and i think we're talking around this is is it gives smaller people people who potentially haven't had the opportunities access in a in a kind of in a way that is giving them enough that they can work on, mm. you know, and and at the same time mitigating your risk as a client so you're not kind of hedging the whole bet that this company can actually deliver. And, you know, if you coming back to your, your thought of, you know, give them an A, if, mm-hmm. if they succeed, then they're going to be able to hire more people, they're going to be able to grow, they're going to be able to expand their systems, and eventually it's not 10%, it's 30% or 50% yes. or 100%. And I think where I'm leading with this is, is you started our conversation when we walked into the room around the idea of diverse thoughts and diverse approaches, um, and and how that is an asset, and it's an asset that I don't think we've properly tapped into in in South Africa or in Africa or. In most places in the world, do you want to talk about that a little bit our
1: our, our history is a, is a, is an ongoing liability right because then we tend to gravitate towards people who think like us, who look like us, who went to the same schools and whilst it 's comfortable it doesn 't elevate us it doesn 't doesn 't grow us it doesn 't do anything it just just serves to keep us in that place where we 're comfortable um I have challenged a couple of people to move beyond this idea of diversity to start speaking more. Um, poignantly about inclusivity, right? And here's the difference. Diversity for me is I have a box of crayons and all of them are different colors. Right? Inclusivity means every crayon has a chance of being utilized. And unfortunately for people who are who are signing up for BEE for compliance, all they're doing is I have 12 crayons. Mm. And we don't have enough people who are saying I have 12 crayons and every crayon has a chance at being utilized because that's what we need. Um, but it does start with your the belief, because your belief affects your behavior, right? So if your belief are the roots to the tree and your behavior are the shrubs that we see above ground, we have spent too much time in South Africa tending to pruning the tree instead of dealing with the roots. Because if my belief system is only Zulu teachers, only Zulu speakers can teach Isu Zulu. Then it means a uh, Musutu speaker will never teach Isu so That's never gonna work. Because mm-hmm. then the same thing would be only men, because they are supposed to like cars, can work on a car brand. So what do you want the chicks to do? Mm-hmm. The half I, of I,
0: the people who buy. Cars do you know what I mean?
1: Like, it's like, just <laughs> when you say it out loud, you recognize the stupidity of it all. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so the the challenge here is, if you want to unlock magic, you have to bring as many diverse views as you can find, and then allow each view to thrive. So just don't invite me into the room give me space to articulate what i think because just saying i have 12 people who don't look like me and therefore i've ticked the boxes isn't helping you because the people's life experiences is what will enrich the quality of your work
0: i think there's a few a few tactics that people can use in order to do that because you know there's always that idea that you put a whole bunch of you know kind of diverse people in the room and in theory everyone has the same amount of airtime but often the the louder more boisterous personalities in the room are going to take the limelight and there's also that idea of subtle hierarchies you know so you walk into the room and everyone's sitting at the same kind of table but we know they're the boss and yeah. you're the intern so there's also that kind of self self-tempering um we always try when we have these kind of sessions brainstorms or ideation sessions it's how do you separate filtration and creation so you separate out those two things because when you're just throwing out stuff in a in a free fall it's much easier for people to have their two cents, mm-hmm. and then the people with experience and wisdom can take that two cents and and filter it and and kind of iterate on it afterwards. I think that's one way that people can try and, and include those sort of things. Because I've been in many meetings where the the you know the target market is you're we te- speaking to young black students, yes. and then there's five interns who are young black students sitting at the end of the table, but they don't have any space to say anything. So yes. then the, the 30 to 40 something year olds all debate heavily amongst themselves as to what young black students actually want, <laughs> as opposed to stopping, looking at the end of the table and being like, hey guys, what is it that you, really what you is it that you actually want?
1: There are several things. One is this idea called matchmaking. Um, because if you really want to change, you've got to link it to someone's earning capability. So I'll give you a practical example. I would evaluate the quality of an ECD by the extent to which he or she grows diverse teams, right? So how many interns have you grown from zero to uh, creative director? That is how I measure you. The awards are interesting, but this is when I'm challenging your belief, but I'm also asking you to commit. Um, that would be the first. And the second one is, how much time do you create in the everyday for the voiceless to be heard? Right. So, if you are a a a coach, which is what I, I quite like, actually, I think Mourinho did this when he got to menu, not menu to Real Madrid, he benched. But wait, you're a woman. You don't like soccer. I know this. I mean, I know, right? <laughs> but but what he did was he he actually benched Ronaldo. Because that's what you also want to do. When you walk into a room and you want to change the culture immediately, you touch the person they think is untouchable. You have to bench the superstar to recalibrate the energy in the room. Until and unless you do, people are always gonna be saying, oh God, if Ross Ross doesn't take first bite at this cherry, then he's gonna be very upset and nobody will have a good weekend. So let's just let him look at the brief first. But if everybody knows that all of us are not indispensable, then 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 that's a great equalizer. You walk into a room, you go, hi, does anyone know why we're having this meeting? And people go, no. Then dispense the meeting. Yes. Right? Oh, hi, czar, intern. Do you know why you're in this room? You're like, no, they said I must come. You're like, okay, next time you must ask them what role they have for you. So I've empowered her in full view of the boss who said she must just come because they were hoping she's going to take the minutes. So if you want to disrupt things, you have to do it at a point where you only have to do it once so that everyone talks about it. And then you've done the culture job. But you have to, for me, it is just, if somebody, and I say this all the time, like don't hire talented jerks because they make everyone else leave. Yes, and you can't. I mean,
0: one person operating at 100% is still worth less than eight people operating at 60%.
1: But how many agencies do you know where there are people who are untouchable? How many businesses do you know where there are marketing directors who are untouchable? It's like, no, if you wanted to approve the work, add yellow. She loves yellow because her cats are yellow. Mm. You're like, yellow isn't even in your brand identity. So, what are we doing with yellow? So, you want to get to a place where you can. Master all the courage that you have. My mother used to say this to me all the time. She's like, speak your truth, even when your voice is shaking. But just speak your truth. So so, the, so, I guess the point I'm making here is you have to challenge people in ways that link to what they take home and their reputation. Because of, all of us want two things, commercial and reputational success. Huh? Commercial is the money I take home. Mm-hmm. Reputation is I want people to think I'm nice or kind or clever or all these other things. Find out what matters to me as the senior person in the room and attack or enhance that. Yes. Yeah. It will change.
0: I love that thought. (laughs) Um, I mean, thank you. Thank you so much. I think there were so many lovely, lovely thoughts in there. Um, And you've given me inspiration to, Leandi, I'm going to bench myself. I'll be on the beach in Cape Town (laughs) (laughs) and I'm leaving all of you guys in charge. I'm going to step out of the way and let you guys speak your truth.
1: Um. (laughs) You know, we laugh. I think think the thing that I learned very early on is when I'm not in the room, I have to live with the decisions that were made Mm -hmm. when I wasn't. Because the greatest way you can demoralize a team is come back from holiday and paint the house again. Like I don't like this green. I want it pink. So we're going to do it again.
0: We we do a lot of workshops, and one of the things we land with our clients is, you have two choices: you can be in the room, or you can give your decision to somebody who is in the room. That is it, because what happens there is what is going to become the gospel truth, and it's what we're going to build everything else on. And if that's important to you, then be in the room, or have somebody you trust enough to step into that space and and say the things that you feel need to be said. Because I think there's a lot of rework, destruction of value, yes. wasted human energy that happens because people are unavailable for the stuff that matters, and then they walk in and make a mess and then leave the poor team to sort of try and pick it up.
1: And if it matters, you'll make the time. That's my argument. If it matters, you will make the time. I used to leave my, my poor first husband... I used to leave his movie ticket on the fridge because if I was watching something that's called a chick flick, he'd always be late. But if it's about Rambo and Bruce Willis, he'd be the first one in the lobby. I'm like, dude, you know, it's not that you can't make the time. It's just that you think seeing Jack Nicholson make up with Helen Hunt isn't necessarily up your ladder, so then you don't make the time. So no, no, if it, if, if it matters to you, make the time. Well, thank
0: you very much for making the time for this. We really appreciate it.
1: And I appreciate having you here with me because it's just also in the sharing, I'm also reminding myself of some lessons I may have forgotten along the way. So thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. We believe sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from useful insights to stay relevant in the world of creativity, brand innovation, technology, and interacting in this new world, please share this podcast with them. On top of that, we welcome feedback, good or bad. So if you've got some, please reach out to us. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a branding and service design company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you would like to chat about the challenges you're facing, reach out to us at www.nicework.co.za. This will be released every week, so please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're one of those really old school people, send us an email or potentially a fax and we'll make you a mixtape. Thanks for listening.